Today is a special day, and it's one that reminds us that we all have something in common. No matter our race or our country of origin, the color of our skin, the political leaning that we have, our gender, our wealth or lack of it, none of that changes anything because all of us come from a mother. Every single one of us has that in common. Mothers are, well, let's just say it's complicated. Some mothers are mothers because they bore their child, and other mothers are mothers because they chose their child through adoption. Some mothers have abandoned their children, and that causes all kinds of of difficulties and harm, and others have, have been laid to rest sometime in the past. And all of those interactions and relationships They matter to us. They impact our lives. They change us. Mothers are huge in our lives. And the the scope of their responsibility is huge as well. Look at this interesting quote from a book called Adventist Home. Ellen White said, The king upon his throne has no higher work than has the mother. And then she goes on to say that the mother is the queen of the home. Just remember that, queen. That's That's a good idea, right? And and then she elaborates a little bit more on the responsibilities when she says, there are opportunities of inestimable worth, interests infinitely precious, committed to every mother, the humble round of duties which women have come to regard as a wearisome task, should be looked upon as a grand and noble work. It is the mother's privilege to bless the world by her influence. And in doing this, she will bring joy to her own heart. She may make straight paths for the feet of her children through sunshine and through shadow, to the glorious heights above. But it is only when she seeks in her own life to follow the teachings of Christ that the mother can hope to form the character for her children after the divine pattern. What a noble responsibility God has given mothers. Think for a minute about the many tasks that a mother has. So many things that women can do in general, but a mother specifically and one with children at home, I mean, meal preparation, cleanup, house cleaning, laundry, managing kids' homework and schoolwork and keeping the daily calendar and the weekly appointments for the home, uh, managing children's medical and dental care, upkeeping the replacement and replacing children's um, clothes as they wear out or are too small, um, shopping, tidying uh, rooms and uh, helping with baths and nursing kids and husbands when they're sick and prepping for events and packing and unpacking for travel and the list can go on and on and on. One study found that women, um, parent, mothers specifically, um, work about 57 hours a week in caring for their, their kids in their home and most of those have another 24 hours or so of paid work as well. That is a busy week. Moms have a lot on their list. And the list is significant, but probably the most important thing on that list is the responsibility to care for and develop the character of her children. And so when we look at all of these things, you have to recognize there is a a need to honor these women in our lives that have done and continue to do so much for us. So I'd like to do that now. And I need some help. 
I'd like a couple deacons to come forward, and if you could help the kids, and I need all the kids, even uh, some older kids, to come forward and to help me with this. We're going to give a flower to every woman here. Every adult woman here gets a flower. And, and I'm going to say this, as you pan them out, um, I want to say this. Whether you have children or have never had children, you are a mother in Israel, so you are valued. Take a few and pass them out. We don't want to leave anybody out, so make sure every lady gets one. And for those ladies who are helping with the meal preparation down at the school, I've made sure somebody's going to go down and give them a flower too. Looks like we're about done. Thank you so much, kids, for helping me with that. You know, there's lots of stories in the Bible about mothers. So many stories in the Bible about mothers. And we could talk about from Eve, the mother of all living, as Adam called her, all the way down to Mary, the mother of our Savior, and lots and lots of stories in between. Stories like... um, the story of Ruth, who suffered the pain of loss, her husband and her two boys. We could tell the story of Hannah and the pain and heartbreak that she experienced from being barren in a, a world that valued childbearing, or valued women based on childbearing. Or we could talk about the story of Jochebed, who through determined uh, fight kept her son from a tyrannical government who wanted to kill him. And finally, when she could do no more, gave him into the hands of God. There's so many in the stories in the Bible, but I'd like to focus our attention on a story of a woman who doesn't have a name. Well, she didn't, wasn't given one in the Bible anyway. And that's in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'd like you to turn there, and we're going to look at a few of those verses together and read through this story. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, We read the beginning of this story. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Life doesn't always feel blessed, does it? Maybe you're a single mom, like this particular widow. 
Maybe you've lost your husband to death or divorce, and now you're in a situation where the demands of life all fall on you. The whole responsibility providing for and caring for your home is on your shoulders. That's a really hard place to be. And it can be, it can be easy to feel like life is not blessed. Like everything is going wrong. Raising godly kids, juggling home duties, providing financially, caring for your own needs, it can feel overwhelming. In the U.S., the Census Bureau uh, found that in uh, 2021, there were 11 million families with only one parent at home. And 80% of those homes were run by women. 11 million single-parent homes. 23% of those homes were poor. 29% of those mothers were jobless for the entire year. 28% didn't have enough food to feed their children. This is not an insignificant problem. We have widows, mothers without uh, support, right here in the United States, right here in our county. This unnamed widow was, um, had been the wife of one of the, the helpers of Elisha, one of the sons of the prophets. And when she found herself in a problem that was too big for her, she asked for help. She went to a godly leader, Elisha, somebody that she knew spoke for God. She went for God, to God for help. In 2 Kings 4 verse 2, Elisha says to her, what can I do? And before he lets her respond to that question, he says, tell me, what have you in your house? And she said, your servant has nothing in your house except a jar of oil. That question, what can I do for you? If, if God were to ask you that question, what would you say right now? What is it that you need? What can I do for you? He didn't let her respond and give, her, give him the whole list. He simply said, uh, what do you have in your house? And the answer was that she didn't have anything in her house. She was a determined, persistent mother. And she was going to provide for her two boys and keep them out of slavery, indentured servitude with any resource that she had. She had emptied her house, selling everything that she could so that she could, could uh, pay off this debt. And still, it wasn't enough. What do you have in your house? Nothing. Well, except for uh, a little bit of, of oil. She, she said it was a jar of oil. But we're not talking about a jar of oil. You know, we, we have these in our, in our cupboards, um, plenty, and we know we can go to the store to get more. Um, it wasn't even a, a, a little jar of oil. The word jar in the Hebrew, it comes from the root that means to anoint. This is my anointing jar. There's not very much oil in here. She had just enough for an anointing is what she was saying. Have a tiny bit of oil. What do you have in your house? A tiny bit of oil. I want you to think about that question. What do you have? Because long before Elisha, there was a, a guy named Moses. And Moses was asked by God to take the children of Israel out of Egypt and get, deliver them. And he's basically like, I don't got any, any resources and he's, he was asked this question from God. What do you have in your hand? When God asked that question, what do you have? You know a miracle's about to happen. 
Uh, For Moses, all he had in his hand was his shepherd's rod. And with that rod, God made snakes miraculously appear. He turned, uh, brought down all these plagues. He divided the the sea. He um, struck a rock and water came out, right? With that staff, God could do anything. So when she said, I just have a little bit of oil, suddenly there's possibility because God is asking, what is in your house? When God asks, what do you have? You need to plan on a miracle. Read the next verse, verses three and four. Elisha said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all those vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Now, there are many tasks that a mother might feel are fruitless. You you come to uh, your day and you find yourself for the fourth time washing dishes or for the hundredth time helping your kid clean their room and wondering if they'll ever learn to do it on their own. Or, or maybe you're, you're folding laundry late into the night, knowing that it's just going to be four more loads in a couple days. And you just feel like your labor is fruitless. All that you can do is worth nothing. Now imagine that woman with her tiny bit of oil standing there in front of some pots and thinking about the labor of dumping the tiny bit of oil. How fruitless is this task? How meaningless and worthless is this thing she's about to do? And yet, she didn't have those thoughts. And there's two reasons she didn't have those thoughts. Number one, she was a determined and persistent mother. She was going to do anything it took for these boys. And number two, she believed God's prophet and she obeyed. Determined mothers can accomplish a lot. In... uh, On May 3, 1980, a hit-and-run driver killed Candace Leitner's 13-year-old daughter. He was drunk. He was a 46-year-old man, Clarence Bush, and he left the girl's dead body there at the scene and fled. This was Clarence Bush's fifth arrest for drunk driving. And after trial, he was uh, sentenced, and he served two and a half years for for drunken manslaughter, intoxicated manslaughter. Once he was released, he obtained a temporary driver's license and he, he uh, made another accident happen after that. It's not surprising that Candace Leitner was mad. And because of this experience and the things that happened after it, Candace formed a foundation called Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And in the last uh, 40 years, the incidents of drunk driving, arrests and accidents because of drunk driving, have been cut in half. Their focus has been education, and they've been working closely with police uh, organizations, with the police officers, um, trying to understand arrests. They've also been working with uh, policymakers, and they were responsible for the age, uh, the 21 age for drinking. They're responsible for the 0.08 alcohol limit, blood alcohol limit. Um, They've done significant work. A persistent and determined mother is a powerful force, probably the most powerful force in the world. But this persistent and determined mother had already done everything that she could do. All her persistence had accomplished very little. And so she turned to the second point. 
believing God's prophets and obeying his command. And the prophet said, pour into these pots. And so she went out and she did what the prophet had said. Verse five. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. This was a family affair. Uh, Take note of this experience. The woman obeyed the prophet and the boys followed her obedience. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. Partly that's about experience. When they see us obeying, they're much more likely to obey. Look at the opposite and you'll find David and his boys. And those boys were rowdy, rambunctious, disobedient, bad, bad boys. David had given them an example of disobedience and violence and bloodshed and and profligacy or whatever, and and they followed his example. When we give our children an example of obedience, they're much more likely to follow in our footsteps. But imagine if you were in that neighborhood and one of those boys had knocked on your door and he would ask, do you have a jar just uh, any old jar will do. Uh, we'd like to borrow it. My mom will give it back in a few days. And oh, of course, you know, they're neighbors. You know them. You give a, a jar to them and you watch this young boy run back to his house, um, put, give, open the door, close the door. Door opens again and out comes that boy and his little brother and they, they run off to some other neighbor's house and more jars go into that house and then they come out again and more jars come back to the house and then they go out again and you're watching this, curious, wondering what's happening All the while, behind the scenes, what you don't see is a woman that's uh, bent over pouring this oil into these pots. Think about it. She's pouring oil that she doesn't have into pots that she doesn't own. I mean, that's the real life story of every mother, isn't it? You pour out joy and grace and forgiveness and kindness and hope and good food. And so often you pour it out from a place of emptiness. You don't have joy, but you put on a good face and you bring joy to your family anyway. You don't feel forgiving, but you forgive anyway. You don't feel like cooking, but you still pour yourself into the the health and the pleasure of your family. And when they pour, mothers don't pour into themselves. You pour into other people's lives. They're pots that you don't own, and you don't know what's going to happen to them. Ladies and mothers, I want you to know that a nearly empty jar is full of possibilities when we pour it out in faith and in obedience to God's command. A nearly empty jar can give life. And the, the rule is, the more you give, uh, the more you will receive, right? Uh, but uh, that requires something. Children, are you listening? Right? Our mothers pour so much into us. And it's only reasonable for us to pour that love back into them. And that's what Mother's Day is all about. It's simply an opportunity for us to pour some love back into our, our mothers. But, and that's something you should do. Husbands, if you haven't made plans to, to spend some time loving your wife tomorrow, then right now is the time to start thinking about those plans. Yesterday would have been better. Last week, even better than that. But at least now, 
If you were like me and thought up until yesterday that Mother's Day was next Sunday, then I'll forgive you, but you still need to start planning now. (laughs) Give your wives some love. Children, give your mothers some love. Care about them. Support them. Give them affection and kindness. Make sure that when she wakes up in the morning, she's got a big hug and a kiss and a, a word from you that says, you are the most special person in my life. After one pot was filled, she filled another. And after another pot was filled, she filled the next one until, well, in verse 6, it says, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And then the oil stopped flowing. She came and she told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. This whole time you've been watching these boys go in and out, in and out, in and out, and then, and then there's no more out. They just stay there. What you don't see is a mother with her two sons kneeling with joyful gratefulness in front of these pots and these jars full of oil, thinking about the hope that's in those jars, the, the security that's in those jars, the miracle that's in those jars. The prophet said, go sell the oil, but where would they sell the oil? They didn't have a booth in the marketplace. They didn't have money for the booth, even if they did have one. Um, Somebody else had taken it by then. Where could they sell this oil? And then you hear a knock at your door, and that boy has come back with your jar or your jars, however many that you shared with him, and, and now they're filled with oil. And he says, I've come to bring you your jar back. I can give it to you today if you'll, if you'll buy the oil from me. We'll give it to you at a discount. And how can you say no? Like, uh, it's a discount? They're your jars? Sure, I'll, I'll buy the oil from you. Why not? But where did that oil come from, you ask? Where did you get all this oil? And that's where the story comes out. The story about the miracle of God taking nothing really, and turning it into every resource they needed. There's one conclusion that I would like us to draw from this story. One simple conclusion. God cares about mothers. God really cares. All the hardship, the experiences that you have, the, the stuff that you pour out of your life the, from, from a place that, of emptiness even, God cares and God gives you the resources. He is the life sustainer of every mother. You don't have to be a single mom, but single moms, maybe to a greater extent than most, experience loneliness. They experience the hardship of all the burden of their family. And isolation, limited resources... There's never enough time in the week to take care of everything. Uh, And few people seem to understand your situation. You're an outsider. Single moms have a really difficult situation in life. That single mom in that community was supported by her whole community. That widow wasn't able to make it except that she had the support of others. And again, you don't have to be a single mom to feel those feelings of isolation or loneliness or lack of resources. Um, But if you face those struggles, 
I want you to know that you're loved by God. And that when you feel like there's no blessing for you, that there's a blessing coming really soon. God has a plan. He is your provider. It may look tight now, but he's got a solution for you. Like the widow that was stooped over with debt, he is your provider. I I mentioned to you boys and girls our need to care and love for our mothers. I just want you to recognize, take a moment and think how special your mom really is. Do you really... Do you really feel like she's special? Sometimes you don't because she corrects you and she tells you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. She gives you jobs, right? And you can feel really irritated at your mom, can't you? Right? Uh-huh. Even adults can feel irritated at their mothers. But your mom is a special treasure. She is worth more than anything that you could ever have. It's a good time to tell her that, don't you think? Maybe turn to your mom and say, I love you. Would you do that right now? Is that too awkward to do in public? Oh, but in public is the best place. That's where she knows you really mean it because you're not afraid to say it. But there's something more that we need to do. See, love isn't just saying I love you or giving her a card or making her breakfast on on Mother's Day morning. Love, here's a a verse that I want you to think about um, from Proverbs. Love is demonstrated when we follow. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are graceful garlands for your head and pendants for your neck. Your life will be better when you obey your mommy. That's just how it is. And every day when you cheerfully, eagerly obey your mommy, you know what you're telling her? I trust you and I love you. Just remember that. Not just Mother's Day, but every day of the year, you can say, I love you when you eagerly obey. Now, I'd I'd like to take a minute and talk to our church as a whole. I'm going to see if, nope, I'm not ready for that. Um, We have about... One in four of every family with children in Boundary County that has a single mom. One in four homes with children are a single parent home in Boundary County. Is that a need? We need to be that community that lends the jars and that buys the oil. We need to be the community that supports those single moms. We have single moms in our own church family, and sometimes those single moms come into this church and they feel like outsiders. They feel looked down upon. They, they feel judged because of the experiences of divorce or whatever it is. And that is wrong. We are God's hands. We are God's mouth. And we are God's pocketbook. And we need to help the people that need God's help. Did I say that clearly enough? I just want to make sure it sinks deep in your soul. Single parents need us. They can't be isolated. That's that's not love. They can't feel lonely. They need our help. And they might not need our money, but they need our compassion. They need our smiles. They need our approval. 
please don't let a single mom come through this door and not feel embraced by your love. I want to, I want to show you a story of a church that looked at its community and asked, what are the needs here? They wanted to be like the community that that widow experienced that lent the jars and bought the oil. They wanted to help. And here's what happened. Over 15 years ago, the Alder Grove Seventh-day Adventist Church in British Columbia, Canada, asked themselves the question, if the doors of our church were to close today, would anyone in the community even notice? Brutally honest answer that came back to them was no one would notice. So the church intentionally set out to make a lasting impact in their community through service and named their Adventist Community Services Outreach Program, Acts of Kindness, or AOK. The church began to grow spiritually and numerically as a result. The congregation grew so much they needed a larger facility. We didn't want to build a church just for us. We wanted to bring community people to church who normally wouldn't maybe attend a church. We wanted it to be a facility that the community would use. So in 2015, the Church in the Valley, formerly the Alder Grove Adventist Church, opened their new facility designed with many features to serve the community. We involve people in ministry based on the knowledge, skills, and passions that they already have. If you have gifts of cooking, you can use cooking as a way of evangelism. You're a mechanic, you can fix cars and give them away to moms that are in need. Using their three-bay automotive garage, the Cars for Moms ministry gives away, on average, a car a month. It's a ministry of God bringing that person together with the right vehicle and giving them a new chance. Fix the cars and do what's needed to get people back on the road again. They regularly host a single mom's oil change, a special event for kids and moms alike. People don't realize how much, as a single parent, living on a very fixed budget and very fixed income, how much something like an oil change can mean to you and how it can help you. The AOK Center has a food pantry, a clothing pantry, and a full suite for emergency and guest lodging. We have had thousands of people come through this facility from the community. People are being introduced to who Seventh-day Adventists are. AOK reaches far beyond the borders of the church property. For over 20 years, they have run a breakfast club at a local elementary school for children in need. They have nourishment, they can do better in school, which means that they'll be able to do better in life. And every kid needs that chance. Acts of Kindness has been helping me out my whole life. Every morning, my mom couldn't afford daycare, so she'd drop us off at school. They would feed us every morning, and it was always so good. AOK also runs an amazing program called Extreme Home Repair to repair and rebuild homes of those in their community that desperately need help. Extreme Home Repair started in 2004, and so this is our 14th year. See that girl on the ladder back there? She was a recipient in 2010. She had asthma, mold on the windows, health issues. But after the renovation, I haven't been to the hospital since. Her and her brother have come every year to keep helping out, to pay it forward. It changed so much for me, and it wasn't just the house being renovated, but it was seeing hundreds of people who worked on my house put in so much time and effort and love. Extreme Home Repair isn't about their home. It's about their lives. We want to put their lives back together again. Oh, I had just lost my son, Christopher, to cancer, and I really wasn't sure 
how much they could actually do. So when, when it came to the day and I saw the crowd of people just waiting for me to see my house and I knew right then and there that it was probably the most beautiful thing. The church couldn't bring my son back to me, but what they did was they brought my life back to me. It does change your life, it really does. And I became a member of this church. I found Jesus. Like when people give themselves like that and there's camaraderie and there's a lot of heart, it renews people because we go through life and we get these knocks. And it's exciting to, to volunteer and know you're changing someone's life. We are not here for ourselves. We're here for the community. If this church closed its doors tomorrow, it would be sorely missed by our community. When our Adventist churches catch a vision of service, our denomination will explode throughout North America because Adventist community services and acts of kindness, that's what makes a difference in people's lives. That's what opens up their hearts and their minds to any possibility of growing spiritually. Our church is exploring our own needs. Parking. Anybody notice it's hard to find a parking spot? Um, seating, Sabbath school space, etc. Um, the limitations of our current facility are obvious to, to some of us, um, most of us, I think. And the solutions are something we'll talk about and explore and make decisions about in the near future. But, but what if we didn't ask the question, what do we need? What if instead we turned around and asked the question, what does our community need? How would that change the steps we take in solving whatever problems that we're experiencing with our facility? What would that do with our mission? I've uh, explored the idea of a building project with um, quite a few of you. And I just want to say, I'm not excited about a building project. It is like the, the worst thing for a pastor to do. Um, it takes so much time and you guys bicker and have so many different opinions and nobody's willing to submit to the, it's just a pain in the, the neck. Why would anybody want to do that? I'm not excited about it, but what I am excited about is reaching our community for Christ and and pouring ourselves like that widow with her tiny bit of oil, pouring our limited resources into our community because with God, what we have is sufficient to accomplish all his will. What will God do with this church when we say, what does the community need? Lord, how would you have us serve? What will God do with us? I was thinking about uh, this home thing. They did big things. Church that was growing, they had resources. But they started that when they were smaller than this church. Something to think about. We have a, a family, more than one family right now that's building a home. And one family I'm thinking of, and he, he's probably going to chew me out for having brought this up in front of you. But one family is uh, David and Nico. Uh, Nico has, they've been living in, a, in an RV, uh, working on their house. Tiny RV, I've been there. <laughs> working on a house, um, building it themselves. And Nico has a back problem that she can't work on the house this, this season. It just isn't going to happen. And uh, David's knee is giving out. That wasn't something he planned for. And uh, I don't know all their situation, 
but I know that they would appreciate it if you would say to them, I've got a few hours, how can I help? How can I bear a burden for you, David? Can I help you with a a project for an afternoon? That would be a really good thing to do. That's a very present need. When the church, when we as a church organize ministries that reach into the real life challenges of the people around us, they see God's love. And it's when we see God's love that we behold what we want and we say, I want you, Jesus. It's the real life stuff that we do with people that makes that gospel come into their heart. So I'd like you to do something. Go home today and uh, show your mothers, all the mothers in your life, how much you love them. But then kneel down and ask God, what would you have us do for our community? How can we reach in to our community and love them like you want us to? And then when he gives you an idea, because if you persist in this prayer, not just like one time kneel down, okay, God, what should we do? But if you persist in this prayer, Lord, what would you have this church do for our community? How can we reach into this community and actually show them your love? He's going to give you an idea. And then I want you to come to, to me and talk to me about that idea. And let's explore how to make it happen. We've been talking a lot about oil. And uh, back in the day, uh, Samuel came to David, a young man, and he anointed him to be the next king, chosen by God. And we use anointing for sickness and things like that. Um, But that anointing of choosing, it represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to offer mothers queens of their home, an anointing for that role, an anointing that represents the Holy Spirit in your life. So we're going to sing a closing hymn, and if you'd like to be anointed, come forward, sit in the first three pews on either side. The elders will all be up here, and uh, we're going to have some oil, and uh, we'll just kneel with you, maybe in groups of two or three, and, uh, and we'll anoint you, and we'll pray for you. Um, so if you're interested in that, please come forward. We'd love to anoint you and, and uh, invite the Holy Spirit into your ministry. And it doesn't matter if you've got kids at home still or not. If you're a mother or if you're a mother in Israel, a woman that wants to have a nurturing influence, then please come forward and we'll anoint you after the song. We'll close with the hymn, Love at Home, 652, Love at Home. Please stand with us. Kindly heaven smiles above when there's
ask for your love to enter our homes. As we leave here today, may your spirit go with us and may our words be encouraging and full of love for our mothers. And may our hearts be filled with your passion for those who have a need around us. Teach us how to serve. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.